0: Welcome to Smarten Up, the show where we demystify the complex world of tax and provide practical business insights. I'm your host, Sally Preston. As a business owner, I know how frustrating it can be when it seems hard to access understandable information, particularly when the topic is as complex as the tax law. So in this podcast, we will explore topics to help you make smarter decisions when it comes to your business taxes, which will ultimately benefit your bottom line. Whether you are starting up in business or have been in business for years, this podcast aims to become an essential part of your financial toolkit. Welcome to Smarten Up, your tax and business podcast. My name is Sally Preston and I'm your host, Today, I have a special guest. I have Donna Bannister, who's a director at Morton Partners. And Donna is a finance consultant with 35 years in banking and
1: finance. So,
0: today, Donna, what are we going to talk about?
1: We're going to talk about how to get your loan approved and the actual process that a bank goes through when you want to borrow more money, the actual loan credit application process.
0: So this is a business podcast, so we are going to be focusing on when you want to borrow over $2 million.
1: Yeah, over $2 million, yeah.
0: So business owners, this podcast is for you and Donna's going to demystify the process that the bank goes through to get you your loan and some of you are probably pulling your hair out when you apply for a loan wondering why it's taking so long and why they're asking so many questions and we're going to talk a little bit about the information they need. Yes, yep. Certainly.
1: Yeah, so what's important in every finance application is your banker or your broker. If you've got a good broker, they'll prepare the majority of the finance application and work with the banker to get your application approved in a timely and effective manner. It's all about telling a story about you and your business and making sure that the bank or the credit manager who's going to approve this application is getting the best picture of you possible. So, a lot of the time, bankers are too busy. Banks are pushing more and more process and work on the bankers, and they don't have a lot of time to put into writing a really great finance application. So this is where a good broker will assist. Once the application is actually written, it'll go to credit who will approve it. Something to remember is that when credit get this application, they don't know you, they haven't met you generally, and they haven't seen your business. So this paper is the only paper that they're getting as a reflection of your business why you want the money, what your financials are like, and what your business can provide as security. So can I just ask
0: then, so if this paper is so important, so what we'd expect from the broker is to spend a fair bit of time asking a lot of questions to a business owner. Yes. To actually help piece
1: together what's relevant to this finance application. Yeah. So there's a number of sections that go into every, for an application over $2 million, there's a lot of sections that go into the actual credit memorandum. Now, these sections are the purpose, the bank's credit appetite or policy, the background of the business, customer's history with the bank, management, experience, and skill, the risks and mitigants of the transaction, the industry that the borrower is in, their financials, both historical and projected financials. They also look at debt servicing. They look at security. They look at exit analysis And each bank also has an internal score for every customer. And this is really important, this internal score, because that determines your pricing, determines if the loan can be approved, and also who can approve it. So the better your score the better chance you have of getting your loan approved. Jesus, that's a lot of information. It is. There is a lot. (laughs) And and I think a lot of customers think that, oh, how come the bank's taking so long? Don't they just tick a couple of boxes, you know, get a valuation done and then it's all approved, but it's not. There's a lot more that goes into it. As a banker, I always try to get my credit manager to actually go out and meet my customers. Because once your credit manager meets a customer, there's a bit of skin in the game. They know the customer they develop yeah. a bit of a rapport yeah. and they understand a lot more that you can't put down on paper. Yeah. So that was something, if you can, if it's possible, always see if the actual person that's going to approve your loan can actually come out and do a site visit. Yeah. And make sure your bank is coming out to, to visit your site as well because you learn so much more about a customer, not just on the phone, but actually going out and seeing how their business works. So that's fascinating because I think that if, particularly if you're a, a relatively
0: new business... If you're a, just an individual, you think your bank is just the place you go to get a home loan. You might go in and see them and do that sort of thing. But I guess as a business owner, you really do. You're asking for a lot more money generally, but it's fascinating to hear how active bankers and I guess finance
1: brokers can be in your business. Yeah. I will say, unfortunately, if you're borrowing less than $5 million, You've got a very minimal chance of a credit manager coming out to your business. <laughs> if you're borrowing more than five million, you do have a better chance. And some banks will let credit managers go out, other banks won't. Also, too, some banks let their managers approve up to a certain amount of money if that internal score is right and if it's within the limits and they have the right security. So, yeah.
0: Great.
1: So, if
0: so that's a lot of information they need. So, let's just say you do want to borrow five million. And so there is a fair bit of skin in the game for you because you're obviously doing something, putting a manufacturing plant in place or some yep. big equipment, or maybe what else, what other examples do you have of
1: clients sort of oh, borrowing wanting for? to borrow um, wanting to buy another business? Their sales growth are up, so they need higher working capital facilities they're introducing a new product or they've got a new license agreement for a new product. So they're going to need additional money to fund the working capital requirements. Yep. So that's why you should know what the purpose is. So a lot of people will say, oh, you know, you keep on going over your overdraft limit. What's the reason behind that? Is it because your sales are increasing and you've got to hold more stock and more debtors? It's always, that's the first part of a credit application is the purpose. If you're going to be buying a new piece of equipment because you've won a new contract, Well, you should project out, You know what additional sales is that going to generate, what profit am I going to make out of that, when am I going to get paid, am I paid monthly, every 60 days, every 90 days, yep. all these sorts of factors is what your bank is going to want to know. So that's the first section of the credit application. Then there are actually the bank will, well, before they even go to application, the bank has certain policies around industry, gearing, security, different types of customers that they want to lend to. So the majors are all basically the same. Some banks are more commercial with business than others. Some banks are better home loan lenders. And then you've got your sort of secondary bankers that specialize in different fields, like uh, accountants or lawyers, that's their preferred business. So the next thing a bank will look at is your background. When was your company started? How long has it been going? Is it more than two years? Banks prefer more than two years. And are you profitable? Who owns the company? Are the people are they active in the day-to-day management of the business? Yeah. So they'll do company searches, they'll also do searches to see if there's any PIMSIS or anything registered on the PPSR register. So that's done with every application. They'll also look at your history with the bank. So by that they mean if your day-to-day transactions, if your account goes over, even if it's over by a dollar, the bank will record how many times you've gone. Overdrawn, outside the terms and conditions of your loan facility, or if you're late with a payment, that all gets recorded. Wow! And when you come to do an application, the banker has to make comment on that. It also impacts that internal score I was talking about before. How about how far back do they go on that? So if you were late a year ago, it's generally twelve months. It'll be in the last twelve months. Wow! And sometimes that cannot be the customer's fault. I recently had a customer who had asked for an increase but their banker had resigned. So then they had someone else filling in for them and they took them three months to get the loan application approved. So they were overdrawn for that three months. And that impacts... Yeah. When someone who doesn't know the story, someone in credit, is just looking at that, Mm. it's not a good look. Not good for your getting your loan approved. So that's why you've got to be on top of your banker and that's why it's good to have a broker involved who also... Who knows the lingo? Who knows who to talk to, and who knows how to get what stuff done? As well yeah. as what matters. So that's right. Oh, we should
0: go to them on that. That's a big
1: issue. Yeah,
0: that might affect you if you want to borrow in twelve months' time. Or
1: that's in correct. Yeah, months time. yeah. So whilst it it mightn't be impacting you now, but you don't know what's going to happen in the next twelve months. Yeah, you might win this great new contract. Oh yeah, but they were overdrawn, and their score is worsened by. Yeah. You know, so yeah, because that score also determines once it gets to a certain point. Whether you go to bad bank or not, so bad bank is where you're not fitting within the bank's normal credit requirements. I I feel like that's a different whole bank you've been sent to. It's like the hell of banking. It's (laughs) like that's yeah. That's like where they decide whether they want to continue you banking or not, and or they ask you to refinance or yeah. Wow, it's very important to actually call it bad bank. Oh, I think it's an internal thing that (laughs) that bank, Johnny's use. So yeah, so always remember that. Try and. Always keep your trade within your actual limits or organise with your banker to get a temporary excess. Yeah. So the next thing that the bank will look at is management. So who's actually managing the company? What's their level of skill? How big is the team? What's the longevity of management? If you have a high turnover in those important positions, that's not a good look. You starts to ask questions, why aren't people staying on? What's wrong with the business for them to keep on moving? Does the manager have relevant industry experience in running a company of this type? Also, who's in charge of their financial management? Financial management is really important to a bank. Can they provide their regular financial reporting in a timely manner? This is where it's good to have good accounting systems and a good accountant. Brisbane's a fairly small place. Well, Australia's a fairly small place. Everybody knows everybody. If you've got a good accountant, that's regarded highly by a bank. I wouldn't so, know any. <laughs> I wonder, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that is something that's very important. Make sure that you can provide accurate financials and that your ATO payments are all up to date, that you're not late just from admin point of view. It's very important, your financial reporting. The bank will also go through risks and mitigants of the transaction. So things like What happened if they lost their key salesperson or their key manager? What plan have they got in place to cover that? Economic impacts. Can they increase prices? Is that within their terms and conditions? Yeah, Yeah, within their control in their contracts. Supply sources. Have they got one supplier or have they got a diversified supplier base? Customers. What's the quality of their customers? Have they got a diversified customer base? Is one customer accounting for more than 30 or 40% of total sales? Mm. Currency risk. If you're importing or exporting... What are their hedging policies? Are they hedging? Environmental risks in their industry, is that something that the greenies are going to want to protest about? You've got to know these risks and you've got to mitigate these risks. Could be insurance, could be experience. They're using forward exchange contracts for the currency hedging. Change, make sure that their contracts allow for price movements, etc. Next thing is industry. What industry do they operate in? Is it a favorable industry? Banks will have industries where they will not bank customers prostitution. Do they really need a lot of
0: loans in prostitution? (laughs) Well, probably not. that's a whole different conversation for another podcast. Very cash (laughs) society. I don't (laughs)
1: think anyone's invoicing in that one. Um, (laughs) Nuclear, anything to do with nuclear, anything to do with guns, those sorts of. And actually some banks are taking a stance on mining. Really? And are getting out of mining. So all the banks have an ESG, environmental social governance area, where they will if credit raises any issues with these customers, that they are controversial industries or controversial contracts, they get has to be reviewed by those those departments. So the banks like prefer
0: equipment based businesses over service based businesses
1: because they've got more tangible assets, or so they're they're not okay. My forte was working capital. A lot of working capital, also equipment. But to me, cash flow is king Yeah, and, well, and to banks, cash flow is king. So if you've got a good service business where you have quality debtors, you've got a good gross profit margin, you are good cash flow, you've worked in the industry for a number of years, it's a good industry. That's just as good a business as someone who is that's selling equipment. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. And something for business owners, there's a product out there or a business out there called Ibis. So that does mm. industry reports, you know, quite a number of industries in Australia. And that'll tell you what your strengths, weaknesses are, what the barriers to entry are, if it's a strong industry, who the main competitors are. That's always good, and that's a lot of the banks use that to provide their industry information. Then the bank will look at financials, your historicals. So they'll generally look at your past three years' financials, they'll look for trends, they'll be looking that they're accurate and they balance. It would be surprising how many companies earning or turning over twenty million plus, their financials don't balance, or they don't place enough importance on the quality of their financials. That's where you need a good accountant. again, I don't know who I could recommend there. <laughs> um, and very important because this is a major part of the application. And to see whether you've got a strong business, good financial net worth in the business, you're making money, you're not just increasing sales at the expense of your Mm. profit. That's a big thing. Banks like to use this term overtrading and that's where you're basically growing your sales, but your profits are decreasing. You're having to hold high levels of stock. Your debtors are increasing and you just can't fund those payments Mm. until your debtors are paid. So banks don't like that. I think sometimes the term is overused where well, you've got a good business that's growing. They're growing quickly but they've got healthy gross profit margins, healthy profit margins, and they just need the help of a bank for, to fund the middle bit. That's yeah. where your, your overdrafts or your debtor finance or your trade finance comes into play. Mm. So they'll also look to see that your ATO payments are up to date. They will look at gross profit margins, net margins, your operating expenses, EBITDA. EBITDA is earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization. That's a big one for banks. They use that to work out a lot of their ratios as well. Your financial ratios, they'll review the trends in those ratios. So if your sales have grown, why have your sales grown? A lot of bankers will do elevator analysis and just say, sales have grown by 20%. But why have they grown by 20%? Is it because you've got a new product? Is it because you put on new sales manager on, you've got higher market share? why has it grown? Mm. And you should be able to explain that to your banker. So you should know some basic ratios like your gross profit margin. And I've had some customers, you can talk to them and they will tell you what their GP is, what their net profit is, what their year-to-date profit is. Then you can talk to other owners of businesses who can't tell you what that is. No, And it's not a good look. These are ratios that you need to be over for your business to continue and you've got to be monitoring those ratios on a regular basis. Again, that's where your accountant comes in, monthly meetings with them to go through these ratios and discuss what can be done to Mm -hmm. help improve them. They'll also look at your balance sheet, your quality of your assets, your debtors. Are your debtors collectible? How many are 90 days plus? What credit terms are you providing to your customers? They'll look at your creditors. your creditors all within terms that they provided you with, are you outside that? So most banks will ask for aging of your debtors mm-hmm. and creditors. They want to have a look at that. Also to your stock if you hold stock. How much stock are you holding? Are you holding too much stock? Is it obsolete stock that's in, in your inventory? The quality of your stock. Is your stock subject to technological change that will impact the value of it? So they'll review all those sorts of things. Bank some banks will lend against stock. So it's very important to know to make sure that your stock turnover is within industry averages or good for your business and that you're not holding too much stock because basically the more stock you hold, the more cash you've got to provide to fund that stock. So how much external debt do you have? Banks will look at that. What are the terms of that debt? Is it all within terms? Also a very important one is how much equity you've got in your business. Are you taking all your profits out? How many dividends are you taking Mm. every year? Are you gutting the business so you can buy a boat or a new Porsche? You've got to think about the growth of your business. If you can internally fund some of your own growth, the return that you're going to get on that is if you've got a gross profit margin of 30%, that's 30%. How many times are you turning over your stock? Mm. You know, you do some of those calculations, much more beneficial to reinvest in your business. Plant and equipment. Something to remember is it's usually on your balance sheet at written down value. If your tangible net worth is looking a bit skinny, always look to get your plant and equipment revalued and create an asset revaluation reserve because then that shows the true value of that plant and equipment, especially with what's happened during COVID over the last couple of years where vehicles, um, yellow goods have been so difficult to get and sometimes secondhand goods are worth more than brand new and what you pay for brand new equipment because you can get it here and now. I think also what's happened is
0: with things like the instant asset write-off, temporary full expensing, some businesses and accountants were actually treating the balance sheet of the business like a tax balance sheet. Yes, yes. And writing it off through the actual P&L rather than what would is – Your tax return, yeah. What should happen is it should actually reflect the The value of that – asset on the balance sheet and it should be an adjustment in your tax return i agree with you totally because that is totally gutting um you've got no value yeah so you you might even have and you might have it there that you paid you know fifty thousand dollars for that piece of equipment and depreciated fully but that tells a banker or an independent party even a purchaser of your business that you don't think that asset's now worth anything you just haven't scrapped it yet if that's a brand new asset that's not giving them an accurate picture. Yep. And so I've had to do it with other clients is go back and create, revalue that back to what it was because it's already gone through their P&L and bring in through the revaluation reserve. Yeah. And actually put, reinstate the value of the actual assets.
1: That is a great point because I've seen a lot of that and one of the other ratios that the banks look at is called capital adequacy ratio. So that's your level of your tangible net worth to your assets. So when your assets have been written down it's impacting your asset value and also it's reducing your profit mm. which is reducing your retained earnings mm-hmm. so it's really knocking those ratios around and not showing the true value of those assets in your balance sheet and i'm seeing a lot of it and i've had to go to customers and say get your accountant to adjust it because it's 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 incorrect yeah. it's incorrect it's, yeah. and for accounting purposes
0: it should reflect the effective useful life of the asset store, the value it is to your business. So you've got to think about the balance sheet having everything that's of value or a liability yep. and what it is at that point in time. yeah The other thing it's doing is, as you said, it's reducing your retained earnings. Now under corporation's law, you've actually got to look at the quality of your balance sheet to be able to pay a dividend. yeah If you've put that through your profit and loss, even though you've got lots of cash in the bank, you've got no profit to pay a dividend. yeah You're more likely to breach – the rules around paying a dividend out for corporations purposes if you've actually put a whole bunch of assets written through your PL. And yeah. so it's actually putting you more at risk as well as making your business look a little bit unhealthy. more yeah. a lot unhealthy.
1: Yeah. No, that's a really good point because that is it's come up a lot in the last couple of years mm. with the instant asset write off. Because banks like to see 30% capital adequacy ratio. So yeah. they like to see that sort of like a minimum well that's a good level for them. Mm. And I know one bank, that's the minimum for them. So it's a big commercial major and that is something to consider. It's about building up that tangible net worth in your balance sheet because it just makes it look stronger. You're going to get a better score, better chance of getting your loan approved and better pricing. Yep. So There you go. So mm. it's not just looking good to an external
0: buyer, which is what I always talk to clients about, (laughs) is how do you make yourself – you don't want to impair your chances of getting a good – Purchase price either.
1: Yeah. Well, I've got a customer at the moment, a heap of equipment, and his tangible net worth because of depreciation expense was reduced. And I said, well, let's have a look at getting some equipment revalued. And basically he got about an $8 million uplift. Wow. And equipment that had been fully depreciated, and especially now the type of equipment that they have is in demand and valued up. Incredible. Yeah. So well worth, and usually try and see if you can get a bank panel valuer, so who the okay. bank uses, because they will take, put more credibility in that. Okay. So, and having an actual valuation rather than just so a not delicious. a director's val. That's correct. An actual valuation. Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The next thing they look at is projections. So you doing your budget. So say you've won a new contract and you want some increase in working capital funding and some increase in equipment funding, because you've got to buy some more equipment for it. So... It's a really good idea to, well, most banks will want a projected 12 months, a monthly projection for your profit and loss, your balance sheet, and your cash flow. Now, don't go too optimistic. Do an optimistic budget. Give that to your salespeople. Give the bank a conservative projection because if you give them something that is very much blue sky and then you don't meet that, they're starting to think, hmm, hmm. And if your assumptions for that projection, you should give the bank your assumptions why you're using this gross profit margin, why you're increasing sales by this much, how much you're looking to generate out of this contract, what's the profit you're looking to generate out of this contract. Do it on a conservative basis. Banks are conservative and they'll look at the assumptions and if your assumptions are a bit out there, they're going to think, mm, these guys aren't very credible. Yeah, We're not going to put too much... Worth in this or value in this projection. And when banks get your budgets anyway or projections, they then sensitize them. So they'll reduce the sales by 5 or 10%. They'll reduce your gross profit margin by 5 or 10%. Just to see what happens yes. if that happens. So I think that that you've got probably got a few listeners that have now gone, oh, you mean <laughs> I should have a budget? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. What do you mean? <laughs> so generally, if you've got working capital facilities, I know. Some banks require them for 500000 or more and what will happen is the bankers will just use the previous year's results and use that for the next year. But it's a good idea just to have a look and see what your profit and loss is going to look like. What happens if you change sales? What happens if you increase your gross profit margin? What happens if you change your debtor terms? What happens if you get better terms from suppliers? How that impacts your cash flow mm. because cash flow is king. So always prepare two budgets, one for your salespeople and one for the bank. I would recommend getting your accountant to look over that budget. And if you've got a good banker, a good banker will look at the projection and go, "Mm, I'm not going to submit this to credit. We've got to go back, have a bit of a chat and change a couple of things here so that it looks more credible and more achievable. So Mm. the next thing they'll look at... So there is quite a bit that goes into a bank application. crazy. It's actually blowing my mind. Yeah, so is debt servicing. So what they'll do is look to make sure those facilities that you're applying for or loans that you're applying for that you can pay them back and you can pay them back at what they call an affordability rate. So affordability rate is a buffer that the banks put in for business loans. So say your actual rate is 7% they'll add in a buffer of 2 or 3% in business banking as well. So, And they'll also, if your facilities are currently interest only, can you pay them also back principal and interest? Mm. You've always, in every finance application, the, the bank has always got to prove that you can pay this back. And even though your loan might only be interest only, that doesn't matter. You've still got to prove that you can service it and pay it back. They'll also look to, banks will implement, if you've got working capital facilities, Generally, the bank will have covenants in there. Covenants are ratios or conditions that they'll implement as an ongoing requirement of your facility. The financial ratios are generally interest cover, which is EBIT divided by interest expense, leverage. So that's your debt divided by EBITDA. They'll also implement other covenants like no further borrowings without the prior written permission of the bank. That's if it's it's a fairly out there lend and... They don't want you to go and take on other debt, which could impact the ability of you to pay back Ah, the debt to the first bank. So in terms of security, the bank will review the security, what's being offered. So security can include property, a GSA, general security agreement, uh, that they register on the PPSR. So that's basically it's like the old fixed and floating charge over a company or PIMSies if it's over equipment. And most likely for private company borrowings, well, from zero to depending on the the strength of your business, I want a director's guarantee. I was just going to ask that. So
0: they will still want the director to put skin in the game to say if a business doesn't pay, I'm in for it. Yeah.
1: And that's because the directors control the business. Yeah. They control the cash flow they control what the business does. So it's two, it's about they've got some skin in the game because we're lending to your business, you are the business. If you're borrowing for property, they'll generally just require mortgage over the property and a GSA over the entity that owns the property. But for working capital, they'll require a GSA, definitely will require a GSA and director's guarantee. Exit analysis. So the bank always has to know how they're going to be repaid. How are we going to get our money back if something goes wrong? So do we sell the property? Do we sell the business? Do we collect the debtors? What's the stock like? What's the quality of the stock? Does the stock have PIMSIS or retention of title on it? Retention of title is where on an invoice, when you're buying something, it will say the title of this equipment or whatever it is will not pass until this debt is paid in full. Yeah. So that's something that uh, if it is a working capital facility, banks will look at to see whether there's retention of title or whether the suppliers have lodged PIMSIs on the PPSR register. Something I've also seen happen a lot too and something for businesses to look out for is when suppliers are lodging these PIMSIs, sometimes they'll put a GSA on, which is fixed and floating all future Mm. assets, and that's way too
0: Uh, much security
1: for a supply arrangement yeah so always check that have your admin people do a regular ppsr search just to make sure and also too there'll be uh, when we've looked at some ppsr searches seen suppliers that have got pimsies on there that the customer doesn't deal with anymore so shouldn't be on there so you can get those removed or you you go to that supplier and ask for them to be removed then they'll look at the internal score. So that the internal score of a customer, every bank has one for every customer. It's based on your account conduct, so the, how your trading accounts are. When I was talking before about going overdrawn, that will bring up the number of days on that, and that will impact your score. They look at management, financial strength. So if you're profitable and your tangible net worth in your balance sheet, they'll also look at management. The banker has to rate the management. So what's the quality of the management, also the industry. They put all those factors into a system and it will bring out a score. And hopefully your score is good because that means you've got a better chance of getting your loan approved and you've also got a better chance of getting better pricing. And then the last section is a recommendation. It's just basically a summary of all those sections. Why should the bank approve this loan application? I cannot strongly recommend enough, you've got to have a good banker or you have a good broker... Who knows the good bankers and deals with the good bankers because they've been in the industry a long time. They know how things work. They know what banks look at. They can help you get the information and paint the picture, tell the story because mm. it's all about telling a story and then getting credit to approve it. So, so now we
0: understand why when a business puts in a loan application On a Monday,
1: it's not approved by Friday. Correct.
0: Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot that goes in that. That's incredible. Yeah.
1: So, and the bank has got to, well, there's now different sections of the bank that will help prepare the credit application. But as a finance broker now, I'm not very trustworthy. I like to write the credit application because then I know that the right picture and the right story is being told. Yeah. And because I still have that. I'm a bit of a control freak. I like to control the process. Yeah. So, and it's also too knowing your banker because some bankers don't have good credibility with their credit people. It's a very ah, small industry. Yes. In Brisbane and yeah. So you have got to be in, in
0: the know a lot more than people really understand yeah. and be using the right people.
1: Because there's still a lot of politics in banking, let me assure you. Yeah. Wow. Mm. That's incredible.
0: I think that that's going to give our listeners and particularly our business owners that either have been borrowing regularly or are looking for new amounts of money, and I've got a few clients like that at the moment, it gives everyone a little bit more understanding of the long process it can be, but the important process it is. But I think from my perspective, what I'm seeing with clients is that lack of emphasis on timely accounting Mm. and on timely understanding of their business so I'm moving a lot of clients into that monthly reporting and actually having management reporting as important I think people still focus on the financial reporting yeah and that obviously it's garbage in garbage out correct but the financial reporting is by and large getting a lot easier with automation the management reporting should also but you actually have to understand it and you're measuring the right things and then adjust
1: yeah business owners should be having a good look at their financials and saying hey, that doesn't look right and dig a bit deeper just to see, to make sure it is right. If you've got working capital lending or loans, banks will generally require regular reporting and either be quarterly or half yearly or annual. So that's when, and they require that within generally 30 to 45 days after month end or quarter end or half year end. So it's a good idea to be on top of your accounts and to make sure they're accurate so, because they'll be testing covenants and just making sure that you're still profitable. So Hey, look, that's amazing,
0: Donna. Thank you so much for being with us on this oh, episode. Well. I feel like I am a lot smarter um, <laughs> on our Smart and Up Tax and Business Podcast. Your insights are valuable. Now you can find Donna. She is the director of Morton Partners. One of my favourites there. I mean, don't tell your partners that. But we hope to have you on and we might be talking a little bit more about financing in the future. Yeah, sure. But thank you so much for your time and your insights. You're and very welcome. And until next time, stay tuned for our next episode of Smarten Up. Great. Thanks, Sally. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Smarten Up Tax and Business. I hope you found the information valuable as you navigate your entrepreneurial journey. If you did... Please leave us a review and share the podcast with your fellow business owners. Remember, what we've talked about today is not a substitute for getting formal advice from an accountant or lawyer that is more specific to your circumstances. But knowledge is power when it comes to getting your taxes right. And it can also save you a buttload of money too.